This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. Monica, we're back. Oh my gosh, it's been so long. I miss you. I know, it's been crazy. How's your life? Life is different. I'm no longer in Boston. I'm now in New York, whatever that means um, to people listening. Um, But yeah, so maybe it's a few degrees warmer outside for me. Yes, yes. My life is good. I went to visit you in New York City. And you can tell we're both extremely busy people by the fact that I was there with you for a few days and we didn't have time to podcast. No podcast was had. Nope. We kept saying, oh, yeah, we're going to podcast. Yeah, it's going to happen. And then it never happened. It never happened. (laughs) To be fair, it was for my birthday. So in the spirit of enjoying things and not working. (laughs) Yeah. That was good. Maybe. That's pretty much been the story of Cinema Fix for the past couple months. Uh, So for those of you that don't know, uh, yes, we are aware that we have been off the air for a few months. I got a job uh, back in February teaching high school English, which rapidly consumed my life and was eating up 80 hours uh, per week of my time. Mm. But it's the summer now, and we'd like to get in at least a couple more episodes of Cinema Fix before life potentially gets busy again. So uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to have kind of our special summer comeback episode to celebrate our return. Also, by the way, I know I never posted part two of our (laughs) 2013 awards episode that is still sitting on my hard drive waiting to be edited. So maybe I'll have time to edit that and release that. Six months after the fact, <laughs> maybe not. If anyone out there would, you know, would like to help us out and do some audio editing, let me know. I'm more than welcome to to take on volunteers uh, uh, who want to help us edit the show because it does take up a lot of time that we sometimes don't have. But uh, we're back now. We're going to be talking about summer movies today. We're just going to be talking about a few of the films that we that we missed being able to discuss in the first half. Uh, this summer. Uh, Monica, you're going to talk about Maleficent, then I'm going to talk a little bit about Edge of Tomorrow, and then we're both going to talk about 22 Jump Street, X-Men, Neighbors, and Snowpiercer. And we might throw in a few other general thoughts on some other films we caught after that, but uh, that's mainly what's in the queue for today. And as always, we're, we're going to try to stay spoiler-free, but with some of these, especially the ones we both saw, we might get into spoilers. We will try to warn you if that's going to happen. But uh, let's let's get the ball rolling here. Monica, you saw Maleficent. I did not get a chance to see that. This is the one where uh, Angelina Jolie plays the evil sorceress from Sleeping Beauty, and it's kind of like a remake slash reboot of that whole Sleeping Beauty tale. What did you think of this film? I've heard mixed things about it. I will try not to sound like uh, Charlotte Copley uh, when speaking about Maleficent, so fingers crossed. Okay. Um, (laughs) I actually thought it was really well made. Angelina Jolie rocks it, uh, to say the least. That movie could have lived or died by 
her performance in this, and I think she does a really great job carrying the uh, material. Uh, I thought overall it was it was more of a reimagining of the story, like just putting it on her side, what the motives for her were against uh, putting the curse on uh, Aurora and that um, Sleeping Beauty and all that kind of stuff. I thought it was really male-made. I thought um, it does have its own problems. Like, I thought the action direction was a little messy. Uh, And by a little, I mean really off. And uh, the fairy world, I thought, was really reminiscent of um, James Cameron's Avatar with the little, you know, glowy creatures here and there. But otherwise, I thought I, I really enjoyed it. And I think it has some very interesting sexual politics in it, which is what everyone seems to be talking about when talking about Maleficent. I was just about to ask, is this actually a kid's movie? Because I've heard some people report that it's actually very dark and scary at times, and that there's a scene that allegorically could be viewed almost like a sexual assault that could be traumatizing to some kids. It is totally in reference to a sexual assault. Uh, What happens to her is she's drugged by a close friend that she trusts. And make, this is in the beginning of the film, right? So it's not really a, a spoiler. No, it's towards the beginning of the film. Yeah, this is this is what starts her on the path to badness, or so. Is that her best friend, uh, someone that it's possibly that she has romantic feelings for, drugs her and takes her wings. She's a fairy before, and he takes the wings in order to win the favor of the king and become king of this. Uh, of the human kingdom that uh, borders the fairy world. So fortunately, it's nothing is shown, but everything is alluded to. It goes over the heads of the kids of the audience that I was in, but they understand like something really bad happened because Angelina Jolie, you know, cries and mourns the loss of her wings. But for most of the adults in the audience, it was very, whoa, you know, that's deep. So I thought that was actually handled very responsibly. Okay, okay, so you would recommend that people of all ages go see this Oh, film. completely, yeah. It doesn't, dwell on the, it doesn't dwell on this. What happens, it moves on to, like, how she reacts to it and the anger that comes out of that. That actually sounds really interesting to me, so I will probably end up checking that out. You should point. probably check that out. All right, well, I want to talk a little bit about Edge of Tomorrow, which is the summer film that a lot of critics seemingly, when it came out, they said that, you know, oh, this is the best movie of the summer. You know, after so many prequels and sequels and reboots, we actually get an original film, and it's great, and it's wonderful, and everyone should go see it. Hooray, originality in Hollywood is not dead. Oh, shame on you for not giving it a bigger box office. Um, Edge Tomorrow's okay. (laughs) <laughs> it's all right. It's the movie in which uh, Tom Cruise gets caught in like this time loop. He is a cowardly military official, basically the PR guy who ends up getting sent to the front lines uh, to fight this alien invasion and gets stuck in this this time loop where he's li- living the same day over and over again and fighting this 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 battle that they always lose over and over again so he has to team up with emily blunt who kind of knows what what, what's going on with him and together they have to try to win this big battle and defeat the alien threat and it's it's not a bad movie it's 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 fun in some places i think it's a really really good idea i think the last act is really messy i think it's it's really kind of awful, given the potential of everything that, that, that came before it. And I like Doug Lyman as a director. You know, I, I will defend The Born Identity. I'll defend Mr. and Mrs. Smith, 
which I actually thought was a really, really fun film. I think he's a talented filmmaker, and he does some good things here in terms of craft, especially uh, in this big battle that Tom Cruise has to keep fighting over and over. He, he does frame the action in some, some pretty cool ways most of the time. I was a little bit bothered by the way the movie presents violence, mm-hmm. however, because it's this guy, he's fighting in a war, there's all this violence going on around him day after day after day, and I feel like because it's a PG-13 film, you never really get the sense of, of the weight of that and how that can just weigh on a guy psychologically to not only witness all of this carnage, but also be killed day after day after day. And uh, the, the movie's drawn a lot of comparisons to Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. And Groundhog Day, I actually think, does a pretty good job of exploring that. And it can also get away with a lot of co- black comedy. Also, Bill Murray. Because it is a comedy. Yeah, it's Bill Murray. <laughs> Tom Cruise is not Bill Murray. <laughs> Fact. He's not, but you know what? I like Tom Cruise. I, I, I know, I really he totally like has Tom a Cruise. comedic I, side, so I, he's, he's capable of it. He does. The problem is this movie is really not a comedy, mm. but there are moments involving his his death or involving violence that I feel like uh, Lyman tries to play off as comedy, yeah. and it really didn't sit well with me. I was just oh. kind of like, oh, why are you making a joke out of this? This is really terrible. And it's 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 touching on things that, that most blockbuster films touch on nowadays, whether it's global annihilation or a, a 9-11 style event and, 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 and wars and invasions that may or may not be warranted. And I just felt like given the how heavy and prescient a lot of these issues are, the, a lot of the comedy kind of took me out of it. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a bad movie. It's just I don't think it's nearly as incredible as a lot of other critics seem to, to think it is. I'd say if you're in the mood to, to have a little bit of fun and watch Tom Cruise die over and over again, sure. <laughs> you know, go see it. You could do worse. <laughs> you could do worse. There are worse. Yeah. Why, did, why didn't you end up, end up seeing Edge of Tomorrow? It just kind of got away from me. Mm-hmm. I, I've been mostly... Um, catching up on indie movies so seeing stuff like under the skin and things like that so this a lot of the big blockbusters i've managed to miss it's like the opposite of me i've yeah. seen I, I i haven't seen many as many movies as i would have liked but i've seen more mainstream blockbusters than i have indie stuff and that kind of disappoints me a little bit yeah and i will say for new york i'm now officially spoiled with all the repertory programming that's going on here yeah i know that's so unfair it really is I'm jealous Well, uh, let's move on and talk about some movies that both of us have seen. First of all, I want to talk about X-Men Days of Future Past. I rewatched the first three X-Men movies and X-Men First Class in anticipation of this film. I noticed you missed the Wolverine ones. Yes, I wanted to rewatch the second Wolverine, but I just didn't have time. Mm -hmm. There's no way I will ever (laughs) rewatch it. x-men origins wolverine uh unless i'm being paid a significant amount of money to do so yeah. <laughs> but yeah i rewatched uh all the other films and i kind of liked it what, what did you think really this last one yeah i kind of like 
first class. I did not like Days of Future Past. And this is coming from a person who loves her time travel story. So Edge of Tomorrow might be up my alley more than this. I just think they completely botched it. It just, it doesn't move well. I got bored watching it. And then, you know, it just seems like a greatest hits collection of, you know, the mutants, you know, from the movies. So it brings back, yes, the um, the first set of Mutants You Met and uh, the original X-Men that Brian Singer directed, and then uh, all the new kids on the block that they brought in with First Class, and I just, I don't know. I got bored. I can see how, we, how you could argue it has a few pacing issues, and it's definitely a flawed film. And you're right, they do try to cram in a few too many characters and a few too many things. The biggest problem that the film has, for me, is the framing device. How, how they get into this whole time travel thing where Wolverine gets sent back in time to reunite with uh, the first class clan and, and help them prevent this awful future from happening. It's really clunky. Like, Kitty Pride suddenly has powers that she never had. Well, actually, in, in the comics, she's the one that's supposed to be able to go back in time and solve the issues. But because nobody who watches the movies really know who Kitty Pride is, it was given to Wolverine. Right, so Kitty Pride magically just has the power to, like, send yeah. consciousness, their consciousness back in time, and Wolverine can get sent back that far because he has healing abilities, and I was like, whoa, 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 I'm pretty sure your healing abilities only cover physical wounds, not psychological <laughs> yeah. wounds. Because he's clearly Cause had a some psychological issues. <laughs> yes. With a lot of sadness, so... Clearly, he doesn't yes. forget easy. So, yeah, the framing device to get him back in time really makes no sense. And they're really stretching to pull that off. When uh, Xavier's uh, miracle cure that he can walk when he needs to, and then, oh no, he's losing his powers. He needs to go back to being in the wheelchair in order for him to use his great mental abilities. Oh, and you, the, you yeah. mean in the future? Well, no, the, the old, the James McAvoy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that some was, of that oh, was that a little d- bit That was totally a little bit felt clunky. like, okay, we don't know how to get a wheelchair around the White House in, like, all this top security. Oh, no, it was the Pentagon that they were in and all this top security stuff. So we're going to let him walk. But overall, I actually liked most of the stuff that takes place back in the 1960s or 70s, whenever it is. I thought most of it worked pretty well. And I like how it, it brings up themes that the X-Men movies have been dealing with from the very beginning regarding acceptance and how do you respond to violence, how do you respond to persecution, and it, it takes those ideas in some interesting places, and I like how Mystique actually becomes a really important character. I didn't like that the whole crux of the story kind of relied on whether or not she sided with one guy or the other. Yeah, I actually kind of thought that was really cool, about how this is a story in which, really, the fate of the world depends ultimately on on this one person's decision and i actually felt like it was earned Mm. you know we have so many movies in which oh there's the one action hero who's magically going to save the day uh and it's all up to to him but this is the the kind of film where it really just comes down to a moral choice that a person has to make. And I thought that that was really effective. I thought they played it up too much like it was her emotion clouding her judgment. Uh, I don't know. I thought overall it worked. All right, I wasn't sold. And I think a lot of the main reason it works is because you have such a great character in 
Magneto, who is is I think he's really one of the best comic book villains we've ever seen on screen in terms of here's a guy he oh, yeah. he he's he knows what it's like to be persecuted. He knows what it's like mm-hmm. to be rounded up and and exterminated and he doesn't want that to happen. And he takes extreme measures to prevent that from happening. So he has good motives. And I always find that fascinating when characters have good motives they use to justify doing some pretty terrible things. The fact that that he's also the only person who really accepts Mystique for who she is, I think, really adds a lot of great character moments, and and really, it really does make Mystique a complicated. It puts her in a complicated situation. But I thought that that worked better in First Class. Oh, see, I, I don't think so. Like First Class, I liked overall. I feel I think First Class works much better as an exploration of Magneto. I think. Days of Future Past works much better as an exploration of uh, Mystique. And also, there's a really great set piece. One of my absolute favorite scenes of any film this year involving a new character named Quicksilver. Which, mm-hmm. just a really incredible scene involving this new character. So much fun. There's a lot of great comedy in this movie. And I was disappointed that after this really big set piece involving Quicksilver, that character just kind of disappears. Yeah. Like most of the other characters, if you're not in the like the main three or four people involved in the story, you kind of go in and out in cameos. Well, right. And I realized why they had to get rid of Quicksilver. Because, honestly, if he was in the whole film he would pretty much be super mutant and he could pretty much solve any situation given given his power <laughs> and there would be very, very little suspense. So I understand that once they introduced him, they kind of had to, uh, you know, write him out. <laughs> but I was disappointed because the set piece that he is in is is really, really cool scene. Yeah. But yeah, overall, I, I liked it. I think overall it's probably a bigger success than First Class. It's flawed, Yes, but I had a lot of fun with it. I thought it could have done better. <laughs> sure, <laughs> probably could have done better, but you know, this is this is the X Men series we're talking about. It has hits and misses, and overall, I'd say Days of Future Past was a hit. All right. Well, uh, let's talk about Neighbors. This is a comedy starring Seth Rogen and Zac Efron that uh, everyone's been raving about. This is about a, a couple in their thirties. Uh, they've got a baby. They're they've kind of lost their their passion for life, and then they feel like the good old days of partying and having fun are behind them. And a fraternity moves in next door, led by Zac Efron and Dave Franco. And this little war starts between the fraternity and this couple. What did you think of Neighbors? Well, I would say, and first, Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne tried to befriend the fraternity. And try to get in with the cool kids and that sort of thing. And then it's what after they call the cops that war is declared between the two neighbors. Yes. Because, of course, the baby needs to sleep after a certain time on a Wednesday. So that's what happens. Yes. Um, I actually really liked it as an interesting little bit of co- uh, commentary on aging and growing up and what that actually means. And just the ability to enjoy oneself and company and that sort of thing. I really liked the performances. I had a lot of fun. Robert De Niro party needs to actually happen in my life. <laughs> I think we're kind of the reverse of, of X-Men oh, no. here. I, you know, Neighbors was okay. It didn't blow me away. I, I, I did laugh a lot. I mm-hmm. don't think it's 
as thematically coherent as it thinks it is. And it's trying to say some stuff about aging and also about achievements and about different points in your life and uh, why do people join fraternities and is that healthy or unhealthy? And uh, it, it tries to say some stuff, but I feel like it hasn't quite figured out what it wants its ultimate message to be. The resolution felt a little bit too easy for my taste. Oh, well, as a comedy, I thought it worked. It's nice and light. It is light. It is light. And there are some funny moments. I do think that it relies a little bit too much on some crude humor at times. Uh, Like, there's some stuff involving some dildos. (laughs) To be uh, expected. I mean, Seth Rogen and dick jokes. What? I've never heard of this. Yeah. It works at first. There's a gag involving a 3D printer I thought was absolutely hilarious. Yeah. And then they just kind of weirded to the ground. I was like, all right, guys. Yeah, that tends to be the form of comedy that happens a lot nowadays. Yeah, and I like how there's kind of this bromance thing going on between uh, Zac Efron Efron and and Dave Dave Franco. Yeah, no, I thought that was cute. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, some of that I thought worked really well. And we saw a lot of humor like that uh, as well in the next movie we're going to talk about 22 jump street and i just i'm curious before we really move on to that film do you think that that kind of of humor where like hey hey look at these two uh, straight guys they're they're acting kind of gay is that funny or is that homophobic uh, what are your thoughts on all this i think it really depends on how it's depicted mm-hmm. certainly there were moments in neighbors that's a bit more homophobic than i think 22 jump is because i think part of 22 jump is making fun of the fact that it's so meta humor sort of thing that it's making fun of the fact that these awkward situations continue to happen is it even awkward anymore or is it just like a thing or is it just how how it is right yeah right. like now is it totally fine for two straight guys to have kind of a bromance yeah is bromance even a thing anymore yeah. Can't they just be friends? Why we got to put a label on it? Yeah, so there's a lot of jokes like that in Neighbors that I was I thought were were really funny, but at the same time in the back of my mind I'm going, I don't really know yeah. if I should be laughing at this. There were some that worked better than others, I would say. Yeah, so overall Neighbors, eh, it's okay. I liked it. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about 22 Jump Street. Now, 22 Jump I love, but... <laughs> okay, tell me, what do you love about 22 Jump Street? This, is, this of course, is the uh, sequel to 21 Jump Street, the film based on the old TV show. They, they made a sequel that's nothing but jokes about being a sequel. Yes, they did. And I'm kind of okay with it. <laughs> yeah, um... Not you? Damn, man, we ain't, we ain't matching at all. We are matching today. We are matching today. 22 <laughs> Jump Street, again, it's funny. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was built up a lot for me. Like, I saw some of the early reactions on Twitter, like, guys, this is so much funnier than 21 Jump Street. It's so great. Yeah, I did too. Because I didn't see it until after it, it finally came out in theaters. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's from Chris Miller and Phil Lord, and who, who did the Lego movie earlier this year, which is fantastic. Another great meta movie. Yep. So I went in with with high expectations, and the movie didn't quite live up to those expectations. Uh. I think part of the problem is, as you said, it's it's so aware that it's a sequel, and it's so aware that it's it's repeating a lot of the exact same gags from the first movie. Mm-hmm. That I think that that's a problem. Like 
that eventually it, it felt like that was the only joke the film was making and it got kind of redundant and I kind of felt like okay guys I'm glad you're acknowledging that you're just you know like a lot of sequels recycling the same old stuff yeah. but that doesn't change the fact that you're recycling the same old stuff and it's not as fresh the second time I around. guess I, I appreciated the fact that they took it all the way to the end like it wasn't just haha this is a sequel and then they put, picked it back up with the credit sequence like, I liked it that it went, was consistently, like, really, you didn't learn from the first time? You know, that right. sort of thing. And the closing credit sequence is hilarious. Um, and not, we're not going to spoil Brilliant. it here. But I think that's a problem when the closing credit sequence honestly says everything that needs to be said about the state of sequels in Hollywood. And I don't think we needed the rest of the movie. To- Why do you have to have a s- super long, nuanced conversation about the state of sequels I'm not, in Hollywood? No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying you don't need to have a super nuanced conversation about it, because honestly, I don't think there's a whole lot to, to discuss. I think that mm-hmm. really the closing credit sequence sums it up rather well, and you didn't need the rest of the movie to keep hammering that home, joke, 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 where that's pretty much the only joke you're making. I think that's a feed unto itself, so... The best joke in the movie to me involves uh, Channing Tatum and Ice Cube and a certain development involving a new character uh, that's introduced in this film. And it's a reaction joke. It's a reaction shot from Channing Tatum (laughs) that is perfect. And that joke, I think, worked really well because it was a new twist it was something that we hadn't seen in the first film. I wanted them to do more with it than they did. I, I feel like a lot of the supporting characters, especially the supporting female characters in, in 22 Jump Street, are really underwritten. Uh, and that includes, oh, I can't remember the actress's name, uh, the girl who plays the roommate. Yes. Cannot remember her name. She's getting a yeah. lot of praise for this movie. People are saying mm-hmm. that she steals every scene. Well, she's such a great deadpan uh, antithesis to all of their overreactions. She so. does. She does a great deadpan, but she's not a yeah. character. She's like I. I really no. didn't think that she worked well as a character at all, or as a uh, uh, an antagonist in any way. I just feel like there were so many parts of this film that were underwritten that could have been better served. If instead of being all like, hey, guys, yeah, sequels just recycle the same thing over and over, instead of, st- if, instead of sticking so fully to that, if they had just kind of acknowledged that up front, but then tried to do something a little bit different, I think it just would have overall been a lot better. I enjoyed the sequel as a sequel as a sequel comedy. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's yeah, fair. Uh, I and, and, and I mean, and there are some some really great gags. There's a sight gag yeah. involving the Benjamin Hill, Hill Center for Film Studies, which I thought yep. was particularly clever. In the middle of a chase, no less. Yeah, so, so there are some really, really clever moments. And I feel like Chris Miller and Phil Lord are clearly two very, very intelligent guys, and they're really great at just satirizing commercial cinema. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know, just tw- I felt like... It, it didn't come together the way it could have. Oh, I'm sorry, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no Channing Tatum for you. <laughs> no, and, and one scene I want to get your thoughts on before we dive into Snowpiercer. There's a scene, it's been in all the trailers for 22 Jump Street, where they bring back Rob Riggle and Dave Franco. Oh, yeah. And there's th- there are these rape jokes, these prison rape jokes. Yeah, that was the part I wasn't laughing at. 
Okay, not only did I not think the joke was very funny or appropriate, the scene had no significance to the rest of the the movie at all. It was just, yeah, it was just like another pot shot at their characters for not being able to complete an investigation. Well, right. And it it honestly was just like they were going, oh, hey, in a lot of sequels, there are these completely gratuitous callbacks to characters from the first film. So we have to have a scene like that. Mm -hmm. But you could cut that scene out of the film and nothing and it wouldn't change. It it wouldn't change anything. And that to me is a is a serious problem. I think he just points out about the tattoo, but that's about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But so I guess you could argue it does relate to the plot in that way, but it's it's just really, it, it didn't seem really necessary to me yeah, at all. Yeah, it wasn't that funny. Uh, okay, well, let's move on to Snowpiercer. This is the first English-language English film from dire- uh, Korean director Boon Jong-ho. It stars Chris Evans. It's it's playing in select cities and slowly expanding across the country. It's it's meant to be kind of the more art house uh, competitor to Transformers: <laughs> Age of Extinction. So if you don't want to see the giant robots attacking each other, you could go see Snowpiercer instead. Mm-hmm. Monica, should people go see Snowpiercer? Yes, they should. Over Transformers, I didn't even hesitate. <laughs> I agree. Yes, people should. I, I, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good film. Hell, it's got definitely much more cinematography uh, in the Transformers film. So even though that yes. one's probably twice its length in runtime. Yes, this is a science fiction action thriller. It's set in the future, post-apocalyptic Earth. Uh, basically, this <laughs> we fucked up the environment. Catastro- yeah, we, we did. It. We did. We ruined the environment. Uh, uh, Earth is a completely frigid wasteland now. Uh, everybody is extinct except for the few hundred or so people that are on this train, which serves like an arc. Yes, it's like an arc. All the survivors of humanity are on this train that goes in a continuous loop and never stops running. And the train's kind of divided up into a class system where all the rich people are at the front, all the poor people are at the back. And Chris Evans decides to stage a revolt and take the front of the train. And so it's about this uh, freedom fighter and this, uh, this, this revolt that happens. I think this is a really, really cool idea. I think it's really well shot, really well done. It, it's not a perfect film. It's certainly not subtle about a lot of what it's talking about. But, you know, if you had to make, if, if you had to see a, a Marxist or post-Marxist parable about a class revolt and, and, and the system and all that uh, in a sci-fi setting, I would much rather see Snowpiercer again than Elysium. I think Snowpiercer just gets a lot of things really right. The action is intense. The characters are fairly well drawn out and interesting. I I really liked this film overall. No, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I had not seen any of the director's previous work, so this was my first intro, and uh, I'm completely enamored with his style. Um, I'm looking forward to exploring more of his stuff, like The Host. Which I've been told I should go see immediately. Yeah, the host is fun. The host is fun. Uh, Snowpiercer, I think, might actually be my favorite of, of his ah, films that I've okay. seen. Mother is pretty good. Memories of Murder is also pretty good. Uh, but yeah, Snowpiercer, I just thought, was a really, really cool movie. And it's the kind of movie, again, it's not subtle about its themes. And you, it's really a theme-driven film. This is This is very much a movie about... Yes, it's an allegory for capitalism and society and, and and all that. 
And so that you can tell that that drove a lot of the decisions when they were making the film. Like I was talking to some friends after I saw it and they were kind of nitpicking, you know, oh, well, why would life on the train be set up this way? And why would it why would why would there be this? And 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 why is this car this way? That just doesn't make a lot of sense and it's not practical. And you just kind of have to suspend your disbelief and not nitpick yeah. stuff like that because, it, again, it's a theme-driven movie. It's trying to make a point. It's kind of the beauty of sci-fi, guys. Like, why on earth would yeah. you keep a train running for years, burning all that fossil fuel or coal or whatever it's running on that could instead be used for the community? Right. Just go with right. it. It's a sci-fi <laughs> fable, and you just have to keep that in mind. You can't nitpick it. I, I had to keep like just telling my friends, you guys... You guys, it's a metaphor. You guys, it's a metaphor. It's just like stop nitpicking the details. <laughs> like, like it really is a, 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 a theme-driven movie, and I think that that's why it works really well. The ending, I think, is a you know, there's a different ways you you can read it. I think overall, it's a pretty successful and progressive ending. And the final shot, I think, uh, is pretty perfect. I think the ending's very much in in giving towards a conflict theorist. For going go sociology on this. Oh sure, start absolutely. over, <laughs> get rid of everything. Yes, it's very much about how you know there's this system. It's 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 always running. How do we live without the system? Can we live without the system, even if though the system might be terrible? Or is this really the best thing to run things? And the final shot, I think, uh, is making a pretty clear statement, but also could be somewhat ambiguous, depending on, on, on how you read it. Mm-hmm. And overall, I, I yeah, I really enjoyed the film. I, Chris Evans, I think, is great. It's nice to see Captain America get a little dirty. Yeah, hell of a soliloquy he did. Yeah, and that was another scene that a lot of my friends didn't really like. There's a scene where he has this big monologue and delivers a lot of uh, his own backstory. I thought it was great, and I thought he did a great job in in that moment. Agreed. There are a lot of scenes like that, actually. I was thinking about it, and as much as the first two-thirds of this film is just non-stop action, Mm -hmm. just constantly ramping up the stakes, going from one car to the next. The last act of this movie, there is a lot of talking, and I I appreciated that. I did too. Yeah, it's kind of like, hey guys, let's let's talk about what's been going on. Let's think about this, yeah. And and actually, it's nice to fill in, because you start feeling out the world a little bit from the backside of the train, and as it goes through, it's like, oh, what are the real implications of what people did here? Right. And there are, like I said, it's not subtle at all. Like, there's a point where a character in the film actually says, the train is the world, and the people on it are humanity. And I'm like, yes, we get it. <laughs> yes, we we understand that this is a... But then they're your friends that are trying to tear it apart, so... Yeah, yeah, we, we, <laughs> Maybe we get it. Maybe it needs to be those characters there saying, hey guys, by the way, this is the worldview right now, just go with it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, overall, I, I liked Snowpiercer a lot. There's a good chance it could end up on my top ten at the end of the year. Mine too. Really enjoyed it. All right. Well, before we uh, sign off here, Monica, any other films you've seen over the past couple months that you just want to quickly mention as being good, bad, worth checking out, not worth checking out? Ooh. Well, we were originally going to do that long ago podcast on Only Lovers Left Alive. And I still want to give a shout out to that because that's probably my number one movie of the year so far um, in the top tens that I've turned in. And I really enjoyed Under the Skin as well. Um, The double... There's been so many good independent film out there. I just want people to look outside what's playing at your local multiplex and maybe check out what's on VOD and give those a shot. 
yeah, I would totally second that. I unfortunately haven't had time to check out a lot of independent stuff. I haven't seen Under the Skin yet. I haven't seen Locke. I haven't seen Ida. I haven't seen a lot of movies that are supposed to be really great. Uh, I did see Only Lovers Left Alive. I agree with you. That is fantastic. I believe it's currently uh, number one on my top ten of the year so far. Though there's a film coming out in a month that I can't really talk about yet, but that could replace it. Wait, pause. We agreed on something? And we agreed. Yeah, Only Lovers yes. Left Alive. It's fantastic. Wait. We yeah. both have that as our number one. <laughs> yes. Godzilla, uh, not really that great. Didn't really care for it. There was a ho- little horror film that came out a couple months ago called Oculus that mm-hmm. I actually thought was really pretty good. Oh, okay. And, and, actu- and, and surprisingly thought-provoking uh, with wow. an actual theme and message it was trying to, uh, to explore. Uh, so I would recommend people check out Oculus if, if you get a chance. Try to think what else. Uh, Captain America Winter Soldier came out. That was good. I liked that. Yeah, I missed that. Trying to wait for a friend and then never got called back to go see it. <laughs> oh, okay. The worst. Uh, deliver us from evil. No, avoid it. It's pretty awful, unfortunately. What? A movie called Deliver Us from Either- Evil is terrible? Well, here's the sad thing, Monica. It's what? directed by Scott Derrickson, who I like as a filmmaker, okay? Mm-hmm. He did Exorcism of Emily Rose, which was good. He did Sinister, which I really liked. So there was promise. There was promise, but... Yes, Deliverance for Evil, though, was not a good film. I actually didn't realize he had directed it until I saw the film, and then his name popped up in the credits at you the said, end. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, no. Oh. I usually try and stay away from trailers, but I made the mistake of watching, I think, maybe the World Cup a couple times and the played the trailer that and Hercules many many times and it just it turned me off of both movies so quickly and I'm like this is why I can't watch television <laughs> wait 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 you t- you're telling me you don't want to go see Hercules from American auteur Brett Ratner what yeah you know it's making me want to say no to the rock which is very difficult for me I know I love the rock I know and he's got long hair in this so <laughs> so I should have been sold but yeah messed it up Messed it up. Alrighty. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for our summer movie comeback here on Cinema Fix. Uh, be sure to join us next week when we will be talking in depth about a single film, uh, as 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 we usually do. Uh, that will be uh, we'll be talking about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which I am excited to see. Uh, I enjoyed Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and I'm hoping that this one will be good as well. Uh, we would love to get your feedback on the show. As always, you can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekcreator.com or comment on the website at filmgeekcreator.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail at 336-793-2509. Uh, we'd really appreciate uh, uh, all the feedback. Uh, be sure to subscribe to us through iTunes if you haven't already. That way you can automatically receive uh, updates whenever we release a new episode. And if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That really helps out a lot. That helps get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. Just go to uh, filmgeekcreator.com, click the support tab and the donate button. We're also partnered with Amazon. So if you use our website uh, to visit Amazon and buy anything there, you know, rent uh, any of the movies we've talked about today uh, on their instant video or pre-order the Blu-rays, we will get a few pennies of whatever you spend. So that really helps us out as well. And as always, don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio. Uh, I am actually co-hosting a brand new weekly podcast with uh, our mutual friend Charlie Nash about the HBO TV series The Leftovers. Uh, That podcast is called The Tupperware Party, so be sure to check that out if you're watching The Leftovers on HBO. 
Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at mcastimovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. I'm Andrew Johnson. You can find me co-hosting some other podcasts at filmgeekradio.com. I'm also occasionally writing uh, film reviews and features over at moviemezzanine.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at writerandrew. Uh, and if you do follow me, be sure to send me a message let me know you're a listener so I can uh, possibly follow you back and we can keep talking about movies. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And we'll have fun this week in This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio. Yeah.